All right, so last week we went over God giving the law. And if you all remember, remember they met back on Mount Sinai where God promised Moses they would return to and they'd worship Him there. And so here they come together and they're going to have God meet with them, you know, that next day. And uh, <clears throat> But it wasn't quite like everybody expected, you know. Because instead of having this great welcome party and them and God coming together there at the mountain and having a great time, uh, it was different because what did God do to ensure they couldn't get up to the mountain? Yeah, He put boundaries around the mountain. As so let's say they set stones up or something around that mountain. So they put boundaries around the mountain. So right off the bat, they see that, okay, this law God's going to give us, uh, it's not going to bring us closer to God, is it? I mean, what was the penalty if they crossed over the boundary and touched the mountain? Death. 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 Penalty was death. Right. So we see that we have unholy man, because we're all sinners. And we have a holy God here, sinless, perfect, righteous, and an unholy man and a holy God, they can't join together. And so they put these boundaries up. The penalty for coming there in this condition was death. And so God gave the law. And let's go ahead and look back. Um, remember there was, what, thunders, lightnings, earthquake. The earth was trembling and, and the mountain was like it was a furnace of fire and smoke and all that. And a loud trumpet. It wasn't a pleasant voice. Um, but uh, it's just this incredible experience they had. And it scared them. So let's go ahead and look here in Exodus 20, verse 18. And all the people saw... We got something dinging? I thought I heard something dinging. Okay. As long as I'm not the only one hearing it, that's fine. <laughs> so... And verse 18, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, and this is the key, this is the key, they removed. When we think of removed, we think of separation, right? So our sin, it separates us from God. You see? They removed and did they just step back a little bit? What does it say? They removed in what? Look back in your text. Afar far off. Man, they, let's get out of here. No, that's not cool. All right. Let's get out of here. So they, they got far away. So we may think that we're really holy people. We may think that we're really good people. But in the presence of of a righteous and holy God, we see that, you know what, we're a long way off from Him. Our sin has not only separated us with a little gap that we can just cross over on our own, it separated us a long way off. Remember the dream that Jacob had? It took a ladder set up on earth that could bridge that gap between heaven and earth. That's a long ladder. And so the distance between us and God is so far of a distance because of our sin, we can't bridge that gap. 
So let's go ahead and look here now and, uh, and see the response of the people in verse 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Okay, so what we see now is Moses, he's already taken on the role of deliverer, right? He came in, delivered the people out of Egypt, of course, by the power of God. But God used him as the instrument to deliver the people out of Egypt through the power of a Passover lamb. Now we see Moses is taking on a a different role, an additional role here. And so the people say, okay, Moses, we were fine talking to you this whole time. We're comfortable talking to you. We can't deal with talking to God directly. It's, this is scary. We're afraid it's going to be our death. Um, so here's what we do. We'll continue talking to you. You then talk to God. Find out what all God wants us to know. You then come back and tell us. We'll hear it from you. And so now what's happening is... Moses is becoming a what? A middleman. A A go-between. And what did you say? Mediator. Mediator. And that's the difference because you've got church background and you don't. But it's the same thing. Whether middleman or mediator, it's the same principle. So you've got a go-between, a middleman, a mediator, now between a holy God and unholy people. And this shows us, because here God's giving a law, and this law is in the law's good, because all the Ten Commandments we went over last week, they were all good. We don't want to commit, we don't need to commit adultery. And remember, half of them were toward God, half of them were toward man. And basically, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. And you can't find anything wrong with that. So the law's good. But we see because of our sinful nature, the law is incapable of bridging that gap. In other words, there's no way that we can obey that law good enough to bridge the gap between unholy people and a holy God. So there was a need for a go-between, a middleman, a mediator. And Moses was that middleman. Now remember, we learned... When Moses delivered the people out of Egypt, he was a picture of the promised Savior. Remember? In the same way, Moses being a mediator, which is a go-between, and mediator is a legal term for middleman. Okay, Of course, middleman, we could use that maybe in business, someone getting profit or something. But mediator, and I, I work at a courthouse, and we have mediation at the courthouse where you you have two opposing parties, and instead of going to a trial and going through all the expense of a trial, the mediator will come in and hold mediation, where they will go between a neutral party. They'll go between the alleged offender and the alleged offended and try to find some way to reconcile the difference between those two parties. Okay, And so Moses is taking this position of a mediator, some type of reconciliation between the offended party and the offenders, right? The offending party, all right? That's what Moses is going to represent now. So when the Savior comes, 
Moses being a picture of the promised Savior, he's going to do both. Not only is he going to deliver us out, but he's going to become a mediator to reconcile the two parties. Because what good is it if we get delivered out of our bondage? Remember, Egypt was a picture of our bondage to sin, Satan, and death. What good is it for us to be delivered out of bondage to sin, Satan, and death, and yet still be far off from our Creator? That's no good. Far off from God, our source of life. You're out of bondage to one thing and and not connected to anything else. So, this is what the promised Savior is going to do. Now, uh, if you'll look here and uh, go to Deuteronomy. We're going to skip back and forth a little bit, but I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's just a, a few uh, books to your right. Go a few blocks to the right. Deuteronomy 18. Give me time to turn there too. Now, we're going to see what Moses said. This is toward the end of Moses' ministry with the people of, of, uh, of Israel. And look what Moses is telling them. He's going to remind them of the time when they came to that mountain where the people were afraid and they backed way off from God and says, Hey, we need a mediator. We need a middleman. We need someone to go between us. If you'll look here now, Moses is going to remind them of that time. If you look with me in verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, 15, look what Moses tells the people. He says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hear, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. So let's just pause there a minute and break down what we just read. Moses is telling these people something very important. Number one, Moses is not the deliverer. He could deliver them from Pharaoh by the power of God. He could deliver them out of the nation of Egypt, but he couldn't deliver them from sin, Satan, and death. He was only a prototype. There had to be a, a greater, because remember, we looked at uh, uh, baptism uh, in, in the, already a little bit in here, and, and uh, we've, uh, we've baptized Tanya not too long ago, and we looked at how, you know, you can wash away the, out, the, 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 the dirtiness on the outside with water, but that doesn't get you clean on the inside where the sin is. Well, in the same way, Moses was a picture of that. He could get them out of one bondage, but he could not get them out of the other bondage. This is what the the true deliverer has to do. And so Moses tells the people, here's what's going to happen. Verse 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. Now, you should, depending on what translation you have, most translations, the, the word prophet will be a capital P. 
Does anyone, everyone's like that? And whenever you see something like that in the scriptures, it's referring to a, 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 a divine word, like it, it, it's going to be a, 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 a prophecy relating to the coming Savior or, or something related to God, divinity. And so out of respect in the English language, they capitalize that that, that P there. And so this is just giving you a heads up if you see something like this, that it's relating to a, a prophecy or a reference to uh, God. And so he's saying God's going to raise up unto thee. In other words, he's going to bring you a prophet. And well, let's see this prophet here. Because now what we see is Moses... Because Moses says this prophet is going to be, if you'll look in verse 15, from the, midst of thy, uh, uh, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Y'all see where he says like unto me? All right. So Moses now is not only a picture of a deliverer, not only a picture of a mediator, but now he's a picture of a prophet, you see? And what does a prophet do? A prophet speaks God's word, and he, he, he is the mouthpiece of God here on earth, okay? And so you have this prophet representing God, speaking his word to his people, okay? And so the coming Savior was going to do the same thing. In fact, when he comes in the New Testament, a lot of times you'll hear him over and over again say, the words that I speak, they're not my words, but the words of him that sent me. What he's saying is, I'm fulfilling that role as the, as the prophet, okay? I'm coming, speaking to you the words of God as promised through Moses in the Old Testament, okay? So he's going to raise up unto you a prophet. Moses now takes on the role of a prophet, which he already has been, but now it's just manifest and we just see it. And so the coming Savior, he's going to be a prophet. And let's see, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren... What does this tell us about this promised Savior? Is he going to be uh, from the uh, nation of Egypt? No, he's going to be one of them. One of them. He's going to be what? What race will he be? Yeah, that's right. He's going to be a Jew. We would call him Jews today. Uh, or an Israelite. Uh, but So he's going, to, he's going to be one of you. So we know the coming Savior... Of course, we knew this because God promised the coming Savior would come through Abraham, remember? And Isaac and Jacob and all. So this is just uh, more emphasis on that, just, just uh, emphasizing that. He's going to come from the midst of you, of your brethren. He's going to be like me. So remember the things we... Excuse me. My muscles are so incredibly powerful... I'm sure you understand. Sometimes I don't have control over all of it. But uh, remember, Moses comes in. He's rejected of his brethren originally. He, he has to flee. He gains a Gentile bride. He comes back and delivers them and is recognized as their deliverer. This, all of this is going to happen to this prophet. Moses... He, the prophet is going to be like Moses. He's going to have similarities to Moses. Let me get back now to my verse. <laughs> After this happened here, I don't have my regular Bible this morning. I brought my, uh, my tablet, but I decided I wanted to read out of uh, paper. So, do this. 
usually I'm back and forth between the watching the comments on there, but I, I just wanted to concentrate on my, my Bible this morning. So look back in verse 15, Liken to me, unto him shall ye hearken. In other words, you need to listen to this prophet when he comes. So he's setting them up for a future success. They're to be looking for someone like Moses, a deliverer with these similarities, that's going to be a mediator. Watch this now. Verse 16, According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb. Remember where Horeb is. Horeb is, is the mountain. Mount Sinai, Horeb, it's all the same place. All right, in the day of the assembly. In other words, when we gathered around and we assembled around that mountain. Look here now. Uh, he says, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. So he's saying, this is what the coming Savior is going to do. He's going to be a mediator between you and God. Look now in verse uh, 17. Look at God's response to their, the people's request when they asked Moses to be their mediator. Verse 17, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. In other words, they're right. They need a mediator. Verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like you, Moses, like unto thee. And will put my words in his mouth. Remember, Jesus says when he comes... The words that I speak are not my words, but the words of him that sent me. It's all fulfilling this promise in the book of Deuteronomy. I'll put my words in his mouth. And he says, and he shall speak unto them them, all that I shall command him. So they're looking for this prophet. And that's why a lot of times when the New Testament, you'll see them say, uh, like asked John the Baptist, you know, are are you Elias? Are you that prophet? You know, are you the one that Moses uh, prophesied about? And he'd say, no, that's not me. And so let's go ahead and look now in uh, the book of Galatians, please. The book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians, chapter 3. You already there? Man, you're so fast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Remember, God's Electric Power Company, right? So, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look here now in Galatians chapter 3. All right. So let's go ahead and look here now in uh, uh, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. What was happening is people were coming in, and they were telling these people, Oh, you, you, you need the law in addition to what the promised Savior has done for you. That's what you need. You need you need both the law and what the Savior's done. And now, if you'll go ahead and look uh, down here, and uh, Paul, the the apostle, he's telling them, uh, no, there's two different things here. There's two different things taking place. 
there's the law and then there's God's promise. Now, this is what we want to look at. And remember, let me erase this on the board. Remember when Abraham asked God, how am I going to know that you're going to fulfill this promise? He's going to bless the world through Abraham's offspring. All nations of the earth will be blessed, Jew and Gentile. In order to bless all nations, the curse upon all nations through Adam has to be removed. So a curse has to be removed in order for them to inherit the land forever. They've got to live forever. So all this entails... The curse being removed, the blessing being restored, and everlasting life being given. And remember, Abraham asked God, show me something. How do I know this is going to take place? Give me something to sink my teeth into, putting into uh, our East Texas language here. And remember what God did. He told Moses to divide these animals up. Remember? And we, we looked at the, the word covenant, meaning a cutting See, divided these animals up. Remember I told you back then that whenever they entered into a covenant of someone, they would walk between those pieces of those animals. But something strange happened when Moses divided those animals up. He waited on God so they could walk between the pieces together. But what did God do? you remember? Huh? He waited until he fell asleep. Waited until he couldn't do anything. He, I mean, he's sound asleep. And then who went between those pieces? God did, alone. And that's when I told you there's different kinds of covenants. There's bilateral covenants, there's unilateral covenants. A bilateral covenant is where you, I'll do this if you do that. Quid pro quo. You have your responsibility, I've got my responsibility, and together we can meet in the middle and accomplish this thing. But then you have this unilateral covenant where God says, no, I'll do this myself. Salvation is of the Lord. It's a gift. And Moses, just as as Moses was asleep, it was sort of like he was dead. Incapable of doing anything, but just watching God walk between those pieces and making a solemn oath that he would be that one party that accomplished this great deliverance. What did I say? Moses. Oh, yeah. I've got Moses on the brain, I guess. If I said Moses, I'm sorry. Yeah. Abraham. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I would never would have known unless I would have watched it again. I thought, ah, oh, yeah. Abraham. Thank you. So, God gave this to Abraham by promise. No law has been given yet. But the law is... I tell you to do this, and you you do it, right? Now, that's their performance, okay? The law is performance. You do this. If you can do all of this, you'll live. Or you have the promise. You're incapable of doing all of this, so I'll do it for you, and then you can live. How about that? Now, that's what I need, okay? <laughs> that's what I need. And so... In, in the book of Galatians, you had some false teachers coming in and saying, hey, not just the promise, you need the performance too. And when they're doing that, 
what they're trying to do is, is say, hope, hold on, God. I'll walk between those pieces with you. You're, in, you're incapable of doing this by yourself. And they're over there trying to rouse Abraham up from, the, from his, his deadly sleep and trying to get him on through there and say, oh, this is what you have to do. You've got to go through the pieces too. But that's not how God did it. That's not how the covenant was given. And so let's go ahead and look here now. Verse 7 of Galatians 3. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. In other words, those who believe the promise God gave, as Abraham did, they receive the blessing of Abraham. It's, it's, what do you do with a promise? If I, if I, if I, say, uh, uh, if I say, Jeff, I'm going to promise to come paint your house, which I will never make that promise, I assure you. And he would not let me because it would be drips all over it. But if I said, Jeff, I'm going to promise to come paint your house next Saturday while you're out of town. And when you come back after the weekend, your house will be, have a fresh coat of paint on it, no charge. Now, that's a promise I just make him, right? Now, what does Jeff do with that promise? He just had to believe it or reject it. And say, no, I don't want my house painted. But there's, not, there's no performance required on his part. So they which be of faith, they receive that blessing that Abraham received just by believing the promise that God gave. In fact, look here. It says in, in verse 12, the law is not of faith. The man that doeth them shall live, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. In other words, the law isn't, isn't a promise. The law's demands placed on man. You don't believe the law. You have to obey the law. So you're either going to, to be accepted by God one of two ways, either by believing His promise or through your own performance of His commands. It's one of the two, you see. And in this case... When God gave them the law, they needed a mediator. They needed a mediator. Now, that's important for us to understand that. Let's go ahead and, uh, and go, if you would, a little bit further in verse 19, Galatians 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? In other words, what's the law's purpose? What purpose does the law serve? And Paul explained it was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Now remember back in the book of Genesis where God said, I'll, I'll put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. Remember? And then remember when God renewed that to Abraham, shined a little bit more light on that and said, in, in, you, in, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's speaking of Christ. And so what's the point in the law? It was added because of man's sin. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Now, watch this. He says in verse uh, 19, Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a what? Mediator. Now remember, 
Paul has been talking about the promise God gave Abraham. How many parties went between those two pieces? Just one. That's right, Jonathan. Now look what he says in verse 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. Isn't that right? You don't have a mediator between one party. You have a mediator between two parties. So what man needs... It, If you're going to go through the law here, you've got to have a mediator, right? And so the law demands this mediator. And a mediator is not a mediator of one. He's a mediator of two parties. This law business here is not going to work out for us if we're trying to do the law on our own. The only way the law can be worked out is through the work of a mediator, okay? And so let's go ahead and look here now. In verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Is the law contrary to God's promise? God forbid. In other words, no way. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily or truly righteousness should have been by the law. In other words, now the law is good. The law tells us what we should do. But it's incapable of giving us the life we need. Because all the law does is point out our failures, it points out where we're wrong. When, when you're driving down the road, and we on our way up here this morning, uh, I got these folks from Canada here with me, and, and as I, y'all, I told y'all they'd be here this morning, and they're not used to driving quite so fast as our 75 on our speed limit down here, all right? But on our, on our way up here, we passed all these speed limits. And the speed limits could only look at us. If we're going over the speed limit, all the speed limit could do is, ah, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But the speed limit has no, the law has no power to control my pedal. Right? That's all in here. And here, in my fallen nature, you're always, you may go a little up or a little below or something like that. But the law is only capable of pointing out your sin. And so what purpose does the law serve? Why did God get there on Mount Sinai and start wagging His finger at these people? If these people weren't guilty of breaking the law, they would have just stayed right there. But they knew it was convicting their conscience, and they knew, man, we've broken these commandments, and they're, they're going the opposite way. The law did not bring them to God. It had no power to bring them to God. All the law could do was tell them, you are wrong and you have to answer to a, a scary, holy, and righteous God when you do wrong. That's all the law could do. So is the law really serving a purpose? Yes. It's serving a great purpose. The law becomes a teacher. Teaching us that we can't handle this two-party contract. We need the contract of Mo. Uh, uh, <laughs> there I go again. Contract of Abraham. We have a one-party contract where God does all the work, and we just receive the benefit of the gift. That's what's happening here, and that's why Moses is telling them, "Hey, look, you're right. You do need a mediator." That's the only way this law is going to work. Someone's got to come in and bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy man. And that's going to be the prophet God sends. He'll be the deliverer. 
He'll be your mediator. He'll be your prophet. He'll tell you what you need to know. He'll do what you can't do for you. He'll go between you and God and reconcile the two parties. Let's go on now, if you would. And, uh, oh, you know what? There's one, one part here in Galatians I want to share with you real quick before we go. Look here in verse um, 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was our teacher. Let me tell you, when when I was trying to become a Christian and I was trying to make sure that I was going to go to heaven, I was going to be accepted by God, this is when I realized, okay, the Bible is true. I had to come to that point first. The Bible is true. And so I came to this point to where I tried my best to surrender my life to God and live according to His law. And I was a, a highway patrolman at the time. I was in uniform. I, I represented the law of, of man here on earth. I enforced it. And trying to live my best under God's law, I found myself completely incapable. I mean, I, I, I found myself always coming short of His perfect requirements. And I remember, even as a highway patrolman, I'm driving on the road in uniform. I got the power. There goes my muscles again. I got the power to stop cars. I got the power to detain people. I got the power to arrest, to let them go. And I remember my own conscience as I'm driving down the road in a black and white car. Who's going to stop me? And I remember in my own conscience, it's 55 back then. If my speedometer got a little over 55, oh. I think, oh, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, you know. And it seemed like I couldn't put one foot in front of the other without sinning somehow. A little dirty thought come in my mind when you don't want it to. Oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And what was the law doing? It was showing me, Richard, it's useless. Give up. The more I tried climbing up that mountain to get close to God by His law, the higher that mountain became, the hotter that fire became, the louder that thunder became, the more the earth shook, and the more God's warning of if you try to get to me through this mountain, the penalty is death. The penalty of sin is death. And I was constantly reminded the soul that sins, it shall die. Do you see then how God's law became my schoolmaster? It was teaching me a lesson. And so, having graduated the school of the law, I eventually was told when I read a book from a pastor in England, Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon kept pointing me away from the mountain I was trying to climb, from the law I was trying to perform. He pointed me away from that mountain to another mountain called Calvary. It really is a mountain, but anyway, he points me to that 
Calvary. He points me to what the promised Savior did for me. He obeyed the law for me. He died on the cross for my sins. And so in doing that, I realized, wait a second. I don't have to keep the law to please God. A substitute has kept the law in my place. At that point, I graduated the school of the law. And I entered into the school of faith. I simply believed the promise that God gave Abraham, that God gave Isaac, that God gave Jacob, that God gave me. Make sense? So let's now, with that understood, let's go uh, to Exodus 25, back to Exodus 25, or sorry, back to Exodus. Exodus 25. Moses has come down to the people and talked to them. They've told Moses, we can't, we can't hear you. We've got to hear God. God's on the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain. God gives Moses the law and these tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. There are a lot more laws in addition to the Ten Commandments, but right now that's where we're at. Look here now. Moses being the mediator, he was allowed to go up to where God was. So let's go ahead and look here in uh, verse uh, 12. uh, Excuse me, uh, Exodus, I said 25, start in chapter 24, Exodus 24, look in verse 12 with me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount. And be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and the commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua. And Moses went up into the mount of God, and he said unto the, uh, he said unto the elders, Tear ye here with us, until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. Chapter 25. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Look at this, an offering. Every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shatim wood oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. What is all this about? We're going to see now. Look what God says. 
and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Here's what's so beautiful about this. God's been on the mountain. The people have been afar off. God has employed a mediator to bridge the gap between the offended party and the offending party. The mediator is Moses. How is Moses going to bridge the gap between the holy God on the mountain and the unholy people down below? How is the promised Savior going to bridge the gap between the holy God in heaven and the unholy men below? How is the promised Savior going to become the ladder that bridges the gap that's set up on earth and bridges the gap between heaven and earth that the angels of God can ascend and descend on? How is this going to take place? It's going to take place through a sanctuary. Look and see now what this sanctuary provides. Look back, if you would, in Exodus 25.8. God said, let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell among them. The law could not bridge the gap between God and man. It put man far away. God didn't want to drive man away. God wants to live with us. God wants to be near us. God wants a relationship with us. He wants to be close to us and have this loving union between the Creator and the creature. So how would Moses serve as a mediator and reconcile the offended party and the offending party? He would do it through a sanctuary. The sanctuary, the work of the sanctuary would show us how the promised Savior, as a mediator, could reconcile the two parties. So what we're going to do next week, when we come back here, we're going to look at this sanctuary, which also is called a tabernacle, which also is called the temple later on, right? just to give you an idea. And we're going to see how this sanctuary serves to accomplish the work of the mediator in bridging those two parties back and reconciling them to the work that happens at this sanctuary. I can't wait to get back into it. All right? So we'll go ahead and, and close and then uh, go next door. Brother Shepherd should be through about right now. So, uh, But just in case, uh, you might want to walk through the front door uh, so you won't interrupt a Sunday school. All right. See you next door and next week, those of you all watching online. All right.